Morning, everybody. Hey, if we haven't met, my name is Justin. I'm the lead pastor here at Fieldstone. Appreciate Eric uh, welcoming you guys this morning, give you some of those details. Um, appreciate Danny and AJ up here leading in worship. They do a great job. Uh, I, I love seeing them lead because they're just proof that every once in a while, pastors' kids do, do turn out okay. So those, both of those guys are PKs and uh, uh, seem to be doing all right with them and their 13 kids or how many they have now. I don't know. Um, might be just four, but it feels like a lot. Uh, well, uh, if you haven't been with us, uh, we're in the midst of a series called Page Turner, where we've been looking at a different section of the Bible each week, kind of in succession, starting with the Torah all the way through the Old Testament, now into the New Testament. We hit the Gospels last week. If you've missed any of those weeks, please go back and catch up. And as I look around the room, as I stand in the lobby watching people come in, I can't help but think, I don't know them. I'm not sure I know them. I think I should know them, but I think I know them, but I can't remember their name. It's too late to ask, right? And, and, and so uh, we're just kind of in one of those seasons as a church where we continue to grow. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, we do have greeters at the door, but I, I, I like to remind you from time to time, you've all been knighted as greeters, right? And so you might be looking across the room going, I don't know any of these people. That means I'm new. But they're looking at you thinking the same thing. And so just a lot of new faces over the last few months. And, uh, uh, and so as you, as you see people, sit around people, uh, bump into people at the coffee bar, whatever it is, feel free to say hi. I have them, you have them, where it's like, man, I have been talking to this person every week for the last six months, and I can't remember this dude's name. I'm not asking him now, right? Uh, Go ahead and ask, right? It's okay. We're all going to say I'm terrible with names. There's a me too, and then it's all good. So uh, feel free to embrace uh, those awkward moments. Uh, it kind of helps make this room feel a little bit smaller from time to time, I think. But uh, today, uh, we, just like we looked at some Old Testament historical books a few weeks ago, the New Testament has that version as well. However, whereas the Old Testament had 12 historical books, the New Testament has one. It's the book of Acts, or Acts of the Apostles, depending on uh, how you want to call it. And in many ways, Acts is a continuation of the gospel, actually quite literally a continuation of the gospels if you read the combo of Luke and Acts, because Luke, one of the authors of uh, the gospels, the gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts. It's a two-volume set, so if you're looking for a good combo read, Luke-Acts is a good way to go. Um, and similar to what we saw with Joshua back in the Old Testament, Acts kind of ties a couple eras together where Joshua was like, hey, we got the Torah and all those foundational things that we see in those first five books. And then we get into the historical books with the kings and, and the judges and all the different things that happen over the course of Israel's history in the Old Testament. Joshua is kind of that in-between transitional book. And Acts is uh, exactly that in the New Testament. Um, Acts reads most like a story compared to the other New Testament books. Uh, it reads like many of the Old Testament historical books in the way that it combines history and it combines some dialogue, lots of truth, lots of unique situations, lots of unique interactions, both between people but also between God and people. And, um, and so as you dive into Acts, it's usually read from uh, a few different perspectives, usually depending on your personality, depending on the season you're in, your interest level, maybe the reading plan that you're in at the time. Uh, but some people read Acts for its historical details. What can I learn about the history of the first century church? What were the priorities of the early church? What were the passions of the early church? How was it governed? What did leadership look like? What events took place in that early church? What, what was the role of the Holy Spirit uh, in the work of that early church there in the first century? What did they find acceptable 
in their pursuit of Christ? What were things that were maybe expected of them? What were things that they tried to cast off and stay away from in the midst of culture? So some historical details there. Some people read Acts simply for apologetics purposes, uh, kind of defending the faith. It's, it's, uh, you can go to Acts to defend a certain view that you have of miracles, maybe your view of the spiritual gifts, maybe your view of tithing, maybe your view of interacting with a secular government as you pursue Christ. Um, people go to Acts uh, to form a strategy for international missions or church planting or simply to see how accurate Luke's historical details really are. And, and when we see that they're very accurate, it helps us show other people that our scriptures do hold up to scrutiny. So there's, there's a certain uh, a po- apologetics value to the book of Acts if you want to read it from that perspective. But I think most people uh, read it for devotional purposes, right? Faith-building Purposes where we simply say, who, who were these early Christians that, decided, that, that responded to the disciples' teaching coming out of the Gospels? What, what were these people like? What did they experience? How did they interact with each other? How did God interact with them in the midst of their lives? How can we be inspired by them? How can we learn from them, from their good moments and their bad moments? How can we use, that's true of most of Scripture, but uh, honestly, Acts is a fun book to read. Like if you're just looking for a fun book, it, similar to Judges in the Old Testament where you got just some really interesting, unique characters, some stories that you're like, oh, that's crazy. That dude just ripped a lion in half, right? There's some, uh, Judges is the fun one in the Old Testament. I think Acts is the fun one in the New Testament because you have stuff like uh, Pentecost there in the first couple chapters where the Holy Spirit arrives. You got tongues of fire floating over people. Peter busts out of the upper room and starts preaching a sermon and 3,000 people get saved that first day. Instant megachurch, right? I can't imagine the logistics of caring for that early church. But 3,000 on the first day, that's a pretty wild thing. You find miraculous escapes from prison where the chains, they're stuck in prison for preaching the gospel and the chains literally fall off. The doors fly open because they were singing hymns, right? Some of you guys wish we sang more hymns. Maybe that would be helpful, right? We'll start busting open prison doors. I don't know. Uh, but it worked for them. Now, they weren't the same print. We're not talking about Fanny Crosby and Charles Wesley hymns, right? Just talking about their hymns. So don't get too attached to your hymns, but it worked for them. Uh, we see kind of a full circle moment where in the book of Acts, Herod dies, King Herod. Now, this isn't Christmas Herod. This is Christmas Herod's grandson, Herod, but it kind of wraps up kind of that, that interaction with Herod coming from the Gospels into the book of Acts. And really, like, like I said, interesting stories. It says that Herod, in a moment of arrogance, was, it says that he was struck down, eaten by worms, and died. Now, I've always been intrigued by that phrase because what you would think is, He was struck down, he died, and he was eaten by worms. But it says he was struck down, eaten by worms, and died. And so you can't help but think, is that the most unusual death ever? Or like, just the phrasing, how do you get eaten by worms? I don't even know. Do they have mouths? I don't know. But it's just kind of one of those weird things that you find in the book of Acts. And of course, you find Paul's missionary journeys where he he ends up in the most important hubs of the Roman Empire there along the Mediterranean, not just reaching people there, but reaching people who are coming and going through those international ports, through those travel hubs, travel hubs, through those centers of commerce in that known world of the Roman Empire. We see him in the midst of a missionary journey being shipwrecked and then bitten by a poisonous snake, and he survives it all. We see him taking the gospel to the highest levels of Roman leadership. Potentially, we don't know this for sure, but he potentially got to stand face to face before Caesar and share his story, share the the story of the gospel. And what we see there is that a murderer in Paul 
becomes the greatest missionary of all time. So lots of, uh, honestly, important stuff, theological stuff, but really entertaining stuff in the book of Acts, if that's a book that you want to dive into. But in the midst of all that, there's some pretty important themes. First one, uh, we see the theme of the gospel. We see the story of Jesus continue in many ways. In Acts 2, we see them say that we must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of of sins. In Acts 4, it says, we have to lean in to the name of Jesus, excuse me, <clears throat> because salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name by which we can be saved except the name of Jesus. And then in Acts 13, 31, the one that some of you guys grew up uh, memorizing in your Sunday school classes, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so this, we talked about last week in the Gospels, how that is the turning point. It is the moment in all of human history, in the history of Scripture. The Old Testament points towards it and builds towards it and anticipates it. And the rest of the New Testament clarifies it and builds upon it. But that is the turning point, the Gospel, the truth of the kingdom, that Jesus the Messiah has come. And that continues right into Acts, where they just continue to remind people in the midst of everything else going on, it's about Jesus. It's about his gospel, the, the truth of the kingdom. He is the Lord of the kingdom, and the kingdom is available to us as well. So the gospel is a huge theme in the book of Acts. Another theme that we find uh, beyond the gospel is the supernatural move of God, where we find out that the gospel is an unstoppable force. In Acts 4, there's an interaction that the disciples are having with some of the Jewish leaders and and they, they get through this conversation, and the leaders kind of turn to themselves, and it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. There was something different about these individuals because of their interactions with Jesus, because of the relationship that they had with him. In Acts 5, the high priest is having a similar interaction, and he, he turns to his guys, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do with the disciples who just keep preaching and keep preaching and keep preaching. And he says, hey, guys, don't worry. If this is human, it will fail. But if it's from God, it cannot be stopped. And he didn't really even have a full understanding of what he was saying, but he nailed it, right? This is, if this is from God, if this is truly the kingdom come to earth, there is nothing we can do to stop it. And so we see throughout the book of Acts that God clears the road for Paul and for anyone else who will boldly preach the gospel of Christ crucified. We find that there's something different about this movement as the gospel spreads throughout the world. So we have the theme of the gospel throughout Acts. We have the theme that this is a supernatural move of God. And then thirdly, the theme that the church is God's hands, feet, and mouthpiece. We get introduced to this idea of the church being the body of Christ. In Acts 2, 42 to 47, we find them worshiping and teaching, experiencing sacrificial generosity, fellowshipping, caring for each other. And then in Acts 13, we find that we as the church... We are a light to the Gentiles, bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. We find that this gospel, if it's going to spread, if it's going to have its impact throughout the world, this move of God, this supernatural move, it's going to be done through God's people, the church. And so in the body of Christ, we are the conduit through which God's grace and truth are communicated and shared. The church is God's hands, feet, and mouthpiece. And then the fourth theme that we see in the book of Acts is that this really becomes the transitional era of the apostles, right? We talked, I mentioned the gospels into the future of the church, right into our modern era here in 2024. Acts is that transitional era because you have the disciples, 
they're going to die. Eventually, these individuals are going to be gone. All of the eyewitnesses will be gone. Those who have provided leadership in Jerusalem and then throughout the world as the church spreads and grows. And so we see a lot of these themes play out later, but Acts is the transition point. And so as you read Romans and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and all these different letters that we'll talk about next week, you might find yourself, if you skipped over the book of Acts, you'd go, Who, who's this Paul guy who's writing all these letters, right? He's not listed in the Gospels. Who is this individual? Who, how is Christianity so big that they're being specifically persecuted by the empire of Rome? How are there even Christians in Rome? How are there Christians in Asia? He's writing letters to churches in the in Asia, like how is Paul's talking about going to Spain? How is all of this even happening? What, what's this Holy Spirit thing? I remember Jesus talking about a counselor who would come. What's, what's the deal with the Holy Spirit? What's the deal with baptism, right? And so Acts provides context for the experiences and expectations of the church after Jesus had left. One article from the Gospel Coalition said this, said the book of Acts provides a crucial window into the life of the early church. Without it, we wouldn't know how we got from the Jesus of the Gospels to the churches of the letters. We wouldn't know much about the Paul who wrote so much of the New Testament, and we wouldn't know how God's saving purposes spread from being centered in Jerusalem to an all-encompassing world. And that spread is exactly what happened. It's exactly what Jesus called for. It's exactly what Jesus predicted. Where Acts kicks off in chapter 1, verse 8, we find Jesus about to ascend into heaven. And this is a little bit of an, uh, an addendum to the Great Commission that we find at the end of the Gospels. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, where they were, and into all of Judea, the surrounding region, into Samaria, the places that you'd prefer not to go, and then even to the ends of the earth. It was Jesus' command before going back to heaven, and it's exactly what happened here in the book of Acts. And so all throughout the individual stories in the book of Acts, the themes that we see in Acts, the people that we meet in Acts, as the gospel is spread to each of those ever-increasing and bigger regions, and it moves further and further outward, what we see is the gospel reaching rich and poor. We see it reaching local areas and foreign areas. We see it impacting Jews and non-Jews, influential and inconsequential. We see it reaching young and old, educated and uneducated, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, exactly like Jesus said it would. And so for them and for us, what we see in Acts is that it's being shown that there is tremendous continuity between all of these scriptural moments from Old Testament into New Testament. There's, there's continuity between the life and teachings of the Old Testament uh, combined with the life and teachings of Jesus, the Messiah, and the Gospels, and there's continuity between those two things and the life and teachings of those who are being impacted by that Gospel after Jesus had gone back to heaven, those who were being transformed by the Gospel from the disciples to those that they were reaching and that, that those people were reaching in turn. So the claims are all proven true, the promises are all kept, and we find that the power of the Holy Spirit is real. So Jesus that we discover in the Gospels, the Messiah, the Christ, and then into the future, all the way to 2024, and what would be expected of us, and how we would be asked to live, and how we as a church are to operate in our modern times, in our context, Acts becomes that transition point where we see, yeah, it all ties together. 
what we saw being anticipated ties in with what actually happened and it ties in with what is, to, is supposed to happen in our lives and the lives of the people that come after us. Now, I mentioned the power of the Holy Spirit being real. That brings up uh, an important conversation when it comes to the book of Acts, really all of Scripture, but Acts is, is a great example of it because what we experience is a collision of some pretty significant things. We have Jesus, his life, his teaching, his death, and his resurrection. We have the early church and the first glimpses that we get of what born again and what the body of Christ looks like. Now throw in the mind-blowing supernatural events that most of us have never seen or experienced ourselves, at least in the same in-your-face way as what we see in the book of Acts. So we have all these things coming together. We've got Jesus and his stuff. We have the early church. We have these amazing supernatural events happening and throw in the need that we have to somehow define our path and our calling here in 2024 based on what we see in all these other situations. And so it brings up a really important question that has to be asked as we read the book of Acts and really the rest of the New Testament going forward. And the question is, is, is this, is what we're reading prescriptive or descriptive? What I mean is, if it's descriptive, is, is this just being described as something that happened, right? Is this just an event? Is this an interaction? Is this a choice that an individual made, and we can define it as good, bad, or neutral? Is this just describing something that happened? If it's prescriptive, we're asking, is this something that's being commanded for all Christians in all places for all times? Now, that's a difficult question as you read through Scripture, especially in the book of Acts. And, and honestly, I think we usually do a better job of this in the Old Testament because I think it's easier to separate our context from their context where Goliath blasphemed God and mocked God, and so David killed him for it. Do we do that? Of course not. Right? That's not something that we do. And so we make a healthy separation. Uh, but it's, it's difficult, too. It's something I failed to do a few weeks ago when we were doing um, uh, the books of poetry and wisdom. And we, I'm just flying by, right? This is a flyby of Job. This is a flyby of Psalms. This is a flyby of Proverbs. Just here, these quick basics. This is the basic themes of these books. And I threw in as an aside, hey, don't marry a woman if she's not a perfect embodiment of Proverbs 31. Don't marry a man if he's not a perfect embodiment of Proverbs 1 through 9. Now, perfection is a very difficult standard for any of us to achieve. We have all failed to achieve that. And what I did was, in the midst of a flyby, decided to throw out an absolute truth based on something that doesn't provide an absolute truth, right? And, and one of you guys called me out on it. You were absolutely right because it's so easy to slip into that mode of like, this is telling us to do that. And this is telling us to do that. Now, there are places in the Bible where it does say that. It does give us an absolutely prescribed way of doing things every single time in every single situation. But that's where that difficult question of, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive, gets a little bit difficult. Is it just the way they did it? Or is this the way that we are supposed to do it? And that gets tough with topics in the book of Acts, like where and when did the local churches meet? What did they do as a part of their gatherings? How is local church leadership structured? What are the titles of church leaders? What are the roles of church leaders? Um, how many church leaders should be, there be? What characteristics should there be? The word pastor doesn't show up for a long time in early church history, right? It shows up early in the second century, right? So what, what are these titles? Are these things that were exactly as they're supposed to be? What about miracles? What about healings? What about speaking in tongues? What about baptism? We have to be careful and discerning, 
especially as we get into the book of Acts, especially as we move into the epistles next week. Uh, And one of the books that we've referenced over the course of the series um, described this tension and what we likely see here in the book of Acts. They said, Acts is intended to serve as a model, but the model is not so much in the specifics as in the overall picture. What's the overall picture? It's a triumphant, joyful, fast-moving expansion of the gospel into the Gentile world, powered by the Holy Spirit and resulting in changed lives and communities. That's the overall picture. By the very way the Holy Spirit moved Luke to structure and narrate this history, it seems probable that we are to view this, that fast-moving, Holy Spirit-empowered spreading of the gospel, we're supposed to view this as God's intent for the continuing church. And because this is God's intent for the church, nothing can hinder it. Luke, therefore, probably intended that the ongoing church should be like them, but in the larger sense of proclaiming the good news to the entire world, not by modeling itself on any specific example. Now, there's certainly room in the book of Acts, there's certainly room in Scripture to say, this is how it should be. But a lot of what we see in Acts is less about how things should be done within the local church and more about the overall mission and desire that God has for his church and the desire God has for us. And so like all sections of scripture, we have to say, okay, some of this is for us, some of this was for them, some of it's for us and them, some of it is just context as part of the story as their experiences are shared. uh, Another example, Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, they were struck dead because there was dishonesty and poor motives in their generosity. They brought a gift to the church and lied about the significance of that gift, and they were struck dead. Now, do we strike people dead if we discover they have poor motives? No, of course not. But do we clearly see that God cares deeply about the heart behind our gifts as much as the gifts themselves? Yes, we can see that through that example. So some questions to ask. If you're reading through the book of Acts or even processing other sections of Scripture, Um, How how do we make this determination between is this simply describing something that happened and there's some good, bad, neutral to take away from it or is this prescribing the way things should be for all Christians for all times and all contexts? Some questions. Uh, Does the early church continue with this practice and teaching throughout the book, like sharing with those in need? Or does it abandon the practice rather quickly? An example would be casting of lots. Right? We see some casting of lots in early in Acts. We never really see it again. So we think, okay, well, there's maybe a reason why they phased that out. Is the practice or teaching supported by clear affirmations in the other New Testament letters and also the Gospels and Old Testament teaching? So if this is something that we're seeing here, do we see examples of it in the Gospels? Do we see examples of it in the Old Testament teaching? Do we see examples of it going forward in the letters from Paul and John and Peter and others in the rest of the New Testament? And then how does this practice or how does this teaching relate to the primary purpose? And then just like in the Old Testament, we're asking similar questions for our personal study, right? In, in, in my pursuit of Christ, in the church's pursuit of the Great Commission, who is this God that we're being called to serve? What's he capable of? What, what power is available to us if we follow him? And when I'm reading, how can I be encouraged by this? How can I learn from their situations, from their examples? And, and what is God asking me to do based on what I'm seeing in this book? And what we have to keep in mind is that whether or not God chooses to work today 
in the same exact ways that we see in the book of Acts, we have to know that he is 100% capable of all of it. As believers, there is a supernatural power available to us that we rarely ask for or even pay attention to. And if God chooses to work in that way or in a, some other just as miraculous way, whether God chooses to work in obvious ways or in more subtle ways, the key is that through it all, his will is done, his mission is accomplished, his gospel is advanced, and the glory is all his through it. Book of Acts, it's a fun one. I encourage you to dive in uh, as you continue with your reading through Scripture. I do want to recommend, in closing, uh, there's a movie I want to recommend. Um, it's called Paul, the Apostle of Christ. I don't know if you guys have come across this. Uh, Jim Caviezel, pretty famous actor, is in that. Um, and it's really actually pretty amazing that the, the picture that is given of, of what was experienced in that first century as the gospel spread in a world that was unfriendly to the gospel. So Jim Caviezel, I think, plays Luke. Um, there's another individual, Paul, shows up at various points in the story. Uh, but it's really just kind of interesting to note that, that as you watch this movie, some of them took the message and applied it with peace. Some of them took the message of the gospel and applied it with maybe a more passive approach. Some of them applied it with aggression and a little bit more of militant ideas, right? So there's things that we experience here in our times where you're like, man, I wish those people would be more aggressive in their defense. I wish those people would chill out and just take a little bit more of a backseat, right? Let's be more subtle about this. Let's be more aggressive about this. All these debate among Christian circles, it's interesting to just kind of see that uh, type of thing play out in a first century context. Um, but it's, it's the struggle to know and understand our proper response and our proper application of a book like Acts when it comes to our lives and our church um, and our families. And so the struggle is real. It's not just a struggle for us. It's been a struggle from then all the way through the last couple thousand years. Um, and so Acts is extremely pivotal in determining the answer to some of those questions. So definitely dive in. Um, let me pray for you, and we'll get out of here. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. Um, thanks for just uh, the, the serving and the, and the sacrificial time that's given by so many on a morning like this throughout the week uh, to make a gathering like this possible, God, to make it um, uh, a joyful experience for us, to make it a worshipful experience for us, um, to just continue the work of community building and fellowship here in this church family. And so, God, we ask that you continue to bless that, um, guide us forward into the future, uh, and as we dive into books like Acts and others here in the New Testament, God, to give us the clarity that we need to determine, okay, how, how much of this is being called uh, uh, something that we have to do versus something that we're learning from uh, versus something that you simply want to encourage us with. Uh, God, thanks for always lighting the way for us. Thanks for the wisdom and the clarity. We continue to lean on that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a great afternoon. <laughs>